Well, hello again. Welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. Great to have you with us. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Philip Jensen. And Philip, we want to get on to talking about summer, holidays, Christmas, all kinds of the good stuff that's that's coming up. It's starting to feel summery here in Sydney. It, it sure is. It's, it's lovely. To, it's warming mm. up. But before we get to that and to a particular question and topic that relates to that, just want to touch on a, a piece of correspondence that we've had recently that's really worth, I think, bouncing, bouncing off. Uh, we received a number of bits of feedback on that episode we did a week or two ago on the business of the family and on the way that the relationship between church and evangelism and church as household and church as a kind of mission agency and so on. And one of our good friends got in touch, wrote in, and I won't identify him, I'll just say he's a good friend of ours who wrote in to say it wasn't that he so much disagreed with anything we were saying. He thought that all this was true, that yes, church can't be this purely instrumental thing. Um, and we shouldn't lose the sense that church is family and it's the household of God. His problem with our episode was was emphasis. He thought that in attempt to kind of give both sides and say both are important and, and so on, that that's not what we he- need to hear at the moment, he thought, given our current circumstances. That our problem is not sort of trying to keep these two in balance. Our problem very much lies in a lack of evangelistic intent and vigour of evangelistic temperature in churches, of people being willing to make sacrificial and hard choices in ministry to see the gospel go out. In other words, he was saying our danger is much more on one side than on the other. And if you're not careful when you do sort of this two sides, both are important, it kind of gives permission to people not to be challenged by the need for evangelistic urgency. So any thoughts? Well, I've got to say that some of that critique is right of our present situation. The lack of evangelistic zeal in our community in practice is very great. That is, evangelism amongst the people that I have contacts with is something that everyone agrees upon. It's not something everybody's doing. And so at that point becomes almost like a shibboleth, a, a mark of whether you are sound or not, that you agree with evangelism. But I'd just love to see more evangelism actually happening. And lack of courage seems to me to be one of the big issues. Boldness is one of those themes that runs through the book of Acts, that you preach the gospel with boldness, whereas I think we self-censor too much and we're not very bold at all in telling people the gospel and buying some petrol today and the woman behind the counter said that nothing is cheap everything costs money in this place she said in fact this world there's nothing for nothing so I started on Romans six twenty three and telling her about Jesus well it was a startling effect upon the three or four other customers as well as the lady And she said she didn't know about that, that she'd never seen Jesus. And so I assured her one day she'd meet him. So it's just taking the opportunity of speaking up because in general we put our heads down and don't speak up, do we? And You're not going to get the gospel out by keeping quiet. So yes, there's a balance that we need. Well, balance is not the right word. Yes, there is a, a passion we need for gospel preaching today. And I think our correspondent has put his finger on the on one of our weaknesses. I think his particular concern is that structurally, thinking about how we do church, where we devote our resources and time, how we organise ourselves and so on. And this has been our experience in ministry over many years as well, especially in terms of church planting and the initiative you may want to take evangelistically for the sake of the gospel. It's Whatever change or initiative you take for gospel preaching will be costly, and difficult and require sacrifice and flexibility on the part of the congregation. 
And in order to do that, you've got to have some fire in your belly for the priority and importance of the mission of the evangelism, because otherwise you won't change things. Because every, in a sense, every change you make, when you decide to plant a church, you say, well, that'll hurt the family. You know, it won't be as family-like anymore because we're sending some <laughs> yes. of our family over there to start a yes. new one. And those friends I know will be over there now. And so if you prioritise churches, household and family inappropriately or, or too much or in the wrong way, it can kill evangelism. Yes, I, think we, that's, I think that's one of his um We planted issues. one church, I remember, and didn't realise that all the musicians went with the other church. <laughs> well, that the, was a blunder. The, the mother church suddenly realised we didn't have... Any musicians left? It was all a cappella. Yeah. yeah, very decidedly a cappella. Is it cost you to evangelise and to start new things, take initiatives, etc.? But in your description there, you didn't pick on the pastor. If the pastor's not evangelising, if the pastor is not out and about as the preacher of the gospel, then you can't expect the congregation to follow his lead into evangelism because he's not leading them into it. And so it's great to have itinerant evangelists who can come and preach for you sometime. But when every time evangelism happens, you get in the evangelistic preacher, you're saying it's an activity for experts and that our pastor can't do it even. So we've got to bring in the John Chapman to come and do it, raising him from the dead so that he might come (laughs) and preach for us because we can't preach the gospel without Chapo. It's, It's a big mistake in that regard, isn't it? Whereas... If the church is really doing what we hope it should be doing, it is growing like Jesus. And all the members in it will be growing like Jesus. And if you are like Jesus, then, well, what is Jesus like? This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what Jesus is like. So you can't be like Jesus and be unconcerned about the lost. And so a truly family built up in the framework pattern and character of Jesus will be fiercely evangelistic. Very much so. And will do it as a family and in a sense as a household and in a family way, if I can put it like that. The point I think I'd like to emphasize in response to this correspondence is that it isn't a balance. It's both things fully at the same time. I think that's the way to think about it that churches need to be evangelistic and to constantly rethinking how are we going to organize, structure ourselves, sacrifice ourselves for the sake of the lost to be like Jesus. But as we do that, we'll do it in a way that a family does. We'll do it with a love for each other and remembering that people matter as we do this and that the church itself theologically, is for the building up and care and maintenance and perseverance of the saints who are part of that congregation. And so we'll be evangelistically enterprising in a way in which people really matter and we're doing it in a sense as a family and in a family-oriented kind of fashion and vice versa. As we're building each other up as a family, as you're saying, unless we build one another up to be evangelistically urgent and gospel-hearted, well, there's something wrong with our family. Well, yes, except you're slipping around with the word church there. Uh Church is the gathering together, and the gathering together is because we're saved. We gather together to hear God's word. Now, any non-Christian who comes and hears God's word has a chance of being converted, but the reason we're gathering is because we are saved. So evangelism leads to the church gathering. Yes. But this gathering is built up in Christ-likeness of character such that the members of the gathering will be fiercely evangelistic 
they may work together in that evangelism or they might be doing it just solo, you know, at their workplace or with their neighbours. But the congregational community will be evangelistic, but the gathering is the hearing of God's word, which is the gospel. I mean, in that sense, it's evangelistic. But the church as a word slips between its usages. That's very helpful because sometimes the way as we try to rethink and restructure, we can lose sight of that and of the importance of the congregation as the congregation of believers that has an integrity and importance of its own. Yes. And within which oversight and pastoral kind of ministry takes place within that sphere. So that's sort of... When I'm talking about the family nature of things, I suppose I'm really talking about the congregational nature of things. Yes. Well, put it this way. As an Anglican minister, I take it that we've got two roles that completely overlap and completely coordinated, not a problem having them both. That is, I'm a pastor of a congregation. I'm an evangelist of a parish. My cure of souls that I have been given is for an area, a village, a, a suburb, whatever it is, where I have the responsibility to take the gospel to every person who lives in that suburb. How does the um, the ordinal put it? To seek for Christ's sheep that are scattered abroad yes. in this naughty world or something yes, like that? Yes, something like that. Well, that's, that's my job. And so just to see myself as the pastor of the congregation is inadequate because unless I pastor the congregation to be evangelistically minded, I'm not doing a good job. But because I passed the congregation to be evangelistically minded, the congregation are the people who help me with my other task, that is, to evangelise the parish. So is it a congregational task, you're saying? As a community, yes. yes. So it's not just the pastor's task, it's no. the task that... He's the leader. His, he's the leader of that task. Yes, he's that not the sole operator, he's the leader. Very helpful. Listen, that's an, another bite on the subject, and thanks so much for the feedback mm. we've received. And I hope that extra little bit of conversation is useful. And we do love receiving your feedback on the different things we're saying, and it almost always leads to some helpful further clarification or point. So, so thank you. Uh, today, though, as as the weather warms up, as Christmas decorations start coming into the shops and even around the streets, I've started to see some Christmas lights already. Already, already. Oh. I'd like to talk about summer. Well, Philip, you said you'd like to talk about summer. And what's different about the Christian summer? Well, they're now saying that the beginning of summer is Halloween. Really? Yes. And that's because they're trying to involve us in Halloween as a community more and more. Oh, aren't they ever? And I think Halloween is the archetypal Australian holiday. Right. Because it involves a sycophantic following of the mindlessness of America while at the same time making greater sales for retailers. <laughs> so it's a combination of materialistic sycophancy. Oh, nice. Very Australian. The, the perfect, the cultural cringe. The cultural pl- cringe, yes. Plus materialism. <laughs> plus materialism. You can't be any That's more us. Australian than that, That's can us. you? Yeah, and then we, and we roll straight from that into Christmas. Yes. Which well, is much once the same, Halloween's right? gone, then the retailers have to think of something else to get us to spend our money on. I've noticed they've even started to try to do it with the post-Thanksgiving sales. So we don't have Thanksgiving in Australia. But post- <laughs> no, we couldn't do that because oh, we, the, <laughs> you've got to have someone to thank and that kind of makes it... You don't it believe a, in anybody to thank. No. But post-Thanksgiving in America, they have these massive Black Friday, they're called, sales. Uh-huh. Um, that, that are the biggest shopping day in America. Just Thanksgiving's on a Thursday, I think, and then Friday through to Monday is this massive sort of kind of retail thing. We, we've got the retail sales. We have like, we have the whole retail thing happening. Um, you wait. It'll happen in November. Thanksgiving. Without Thanksgiving. Without Thanksgiving. No, we don't need to thank. No. 
But Christians <laughs> thank our lucky stars. <laughs> About the best we do, is it? But now we roll straight into our summer kind of holidays and you wanted to talk today about the fact that distinctive things that Christians have always done in this kind of time of year is go away on conferences and camps. Yes, yeah, we do. I don't think our non-Christian friends do it nearly as much as we do. I mean, they go away for family holidays. Sometimes they're, it's a big family, cousins, sisters and aunts. Sometimes it's with a couple of the neighbours or friends, etc. But we do more than that. We go away as a church. We go away as a congregation. Sometimes we go away in age-specific groups, you know, children's camps, teenagers' camps, etc. Uh, sometimes it's interest groups that go away. Yeah. Sometimes those are combined, you know. I remember there used to be one, a sun, surf and sand kind of camp for a particular age group. Sometimes it's a much bigger, wider community thing, like, you know, having a convention where we have convention ministries over summer. A big one here we have in Sydney with the Anglicans is, is the CMS uh, Summer School, which many, many families go to it, and a couple of thousand people and a couple of thousand children, as far as I can see as well, go away for a week together. And so it's a cultural habit of Christians around Sydney that we go on camps and conferences, especially over summer. So is it just a cultural thing? Is it sort of just a nice thing we do? Or what, what sort of purposes? How do we think about these things as Christians and their value? I mean, what's the point of going away? Or what reasons might we go away together? That's what I think is important to think through. Because there's a tendency to say, well, we do this every year. Because we do it every year. Because we do it every year. You know, This is the annual camp. And the reason of having a camp called annual is not a very good reason, really. But there are lots of different reasons that if you're clear about your purpose can make much better camps. So a lot of it has to do with having time, time that's not the normal time of of the working week. Having time where, well, the obvious first thing to do is having time just to go away and study the Bible, just to spend time thinking. Because in the rush of daily activities, it's easy to skip the Bible reading and thinking It's easy to rush through the Bible without much time for thinking. And to spend a a week or a weekend or a time where you can actually just spend time, quality time, quality time with others, pondering about what the Bible is actually saying, it's better than the dose you get on Sunday morning in church. It's serious rethinking only can come from having time away. Sometimes it's having the time in those contexts to unlearn and to (laughs) de-think. I mean, yes. often, often that's what I've, I've found most beneficial about going away for several days to study the Bible is this time to realise I've got all sorts of junk in my mind on this question that I have to clear away yes. before I can get down and, and actually see clearly what the Bible's saying. That's right. And often there's just not time to do that in that's a, right. a normal scheme of life. And, and I can go away and do this myself. I can go away with a group of friends and it's really helpful. And so another aspect of camping and conferences is relationships. And so sometimes you go into a context where we can broaden our relationships, where we meet other Christians, different Christians, Christians who go to different churches, who have different perspectives. I remember the first beach mission I went on, I saw people doing children's work in ways I'd never thought of before, I'd never seen before. Because all I'd seen so far was my own church's Sunday school. That's how we did children's work. But these people, they were so creative in some of the things they did which just broadened my outlook on how you do children's work. Sometimes, though, our relationship, it's a matter of deepening. So instead of going away with other people, we go away with our church group. And the relationships that we have each week, but which are rushed, 
are given real time to be nurtured. And you don't get it from just day conferences because it's the conversation over the breakfast table. It's the conversation late at night. It's the it's when they see you as you really are. Yes. <laughs> First thing in the morning and last thing at night. Yes. You really do get time just to get to know each other properly. It was one of the miracles of that God worked in, in Alison and I getting married was that early in our relationship, we were at a conference together and she saw me first thing in the morning. <laughs> and that, still married and you. And still thought that this was a project worth pursuing. Like, it was a great miracle. <laughs> yes, it was a big project. <laughs> <laughs> so it deepens and broadens our relationships. You're right. Yes. And there's this the time and the space and the context to do that is, yeah. is invaluable, isn't it? In the past, we've gone away to hear great speakers, overseas speakers that you couldn't normally get to hear. This is lessening because thanks to the internet, you can hear the overseas speakers without them leaving or without you leaving your own lounge room. Uh, I mean, it is different hearing them in person, but that's a less of an importance, I think, and it's not so much of a reason to be going that we have in the past. Sometimes, though, like beach missions, you go to a to evangelise. Loads of camps that have been run for children's work and uh, junior teenage work where we take people away to actually share the gospel with them. Or we go away onto a beach context where we learn to share the gospel and we do share the gospel. And so it's both evangelistic and training that is taking place. And again, you're not going to do that at home. You're not going to do that in your local church very much. Sometimes they can. You know, the summer fest conferences are evangelistic ones, which are built out of kind of beach missions, but it's a beach mission at home. And I think that's fantastic opportunities for doing the work of the gospel. And it seems just suddenly strangely easier to talk to people down at the beach with a team of friends than it was to stand on the corner of my street and say anything to anyone. So it can help in our understanding of the Bible. It can help in our relationships. It can be a way to actually do Christian ministry together and learn and grow in those things. And the same thing can happen at the one time away sometimes. Or sometimes you can have special purpose events that you go away. But it's also a way for us to pause and think about what we're doing as well. It's it's sometimes a chance by getting out of our lives and our church context to think about our lives and think about our church context and maybe go back ready to do things differently. Well, at this time of the year, a lot of church teams are planning for the next coming year. And good planning is very valuable in a teamwork because on the run in a busy week, you just have to know what the other team members are doing. You don't have time to explain everything to each other. But to spend a week away or a few days away with each other, building the network of the staff team, but also sharing what the vision that you're all working for together. I think the staff planning days always been a great time. But there are these other things that we do. We can address particular issues at that time. You know, if there is a problem in our congregational life, it's a time to get away and think through, well, what what is it that we all agree about or should agree about or what does the Bible teach about our particular issue that is happening? And I think that's an incredibly valuable exercise because sometimes problems bubbling along week by week but never properly addressed because we haven't given ourselves enough time to talk with each other, to listen to each other and to listen to God's word about it. Yeah, I think that's very important because generally speaking, we want the exposition of the Bible and the, and the week by week, just letting God set our agenda by seeing what he says in the next passage. We want that to be our bread and butter, but we need the other kind of teaching as well, where we draw it together and say, well, 
what does God's word say about this question? Yeah. And doing that is is a complex thing to do. It's a time-consuming thing to do. It's hard to you can do it in a weekly series, you can have a topical series, but there's an enormous benefit in going away and spending a weekend thinking about a topic and having the time to draw out its implications and talk about it over lunch and come back to it again and really dig into it. And weekends away or conferences can be enormously valuable for Yeah, you. the church committee, the parish council. Um, when I was a young man, we had a big Sunday school staff of 30 or so people doing children's work. And I remember going away for the weekend as the, those who were teaching Sunday school for a weekend together partly in training about you know, how to teach better lessons, partly in Bible teaching, but partly also in working out, well, this is what we're having to do with the children this year, how we're going to organise the famous Sunday school picnic. It's a time to unite us together. And you know, sometimes it's, well, the CMO summer school I mentioned. For those of you outside Sydney, let me explain that the Sydney Anglican scene is united by the Church Missionary Society Summer School. Run through a week up in Katoomba and it's wonderful because the thing that unites the Anglicans of Sydney is world mission. We have a good Bible teacher come and expound the scriptures. This coming year we have Ed Lone's going to expound Galatians for us, which will be fantastic, I'm sure. But we also hear from our missionaries and we pray together and we hear about the world mission and that unites us. Things like synods where we have laws and arguments, that doesn't unite us. And and our parish church as well, there's so many of them that we're never united. No, we're united in the cause of the gospel. And that's what actually makes Sydney as a diocese so powerfully strong in Anglican terms because of this going away together for this purpose. And so, in general, I think the camps actually fulfil enormously important, valuable things for Christians and for churches and organisations. And I'm glad we have lovely summer weather that we can do this. And I just want to encourage people to make sure you take some time to be more than an individualist over summer, to get involved in some residential camping of some kind, conferencing of some kind, because it enriches our fellowship together and our own personal lives. There are many great reasons you've mentioned, and it is a good encouragement for us to get involved. But I kind of think back over my experience of many, many years of different conferences and camps and conventions, and it isn't always plain sailing. Like There are sometimes problems. In fact, I'd go so far as to say I think there are things to avoid or dangers that you'd want to bear in mind that Christian conferencing and camps have their dangers as well, don't they? Yeah, they sure do. I mean, the most horrific and dreadful one is the danger of uh, sexual predators using the camping situation to attack and abuse, especially young people. Camping in that late primary, early teenage years is one of the most dangerous areas of camping, of that kind of sexual predation. And if we're going to run a camping for that kind of age group, and it's a wonderful age group for running camping, we really do need to set in place the safe ministry procedures at the most strict and rigid and certain aspect. It's just where you can't afford risk at that area. And it's that age group in particular where we've had the greatest difficulty in the past. The next camp could go off the rails if we haven't taken all due procedural processes to make sure it doesn't happen. But there are other things too. Risky travel arrangements, you see. When they're a bit older and they've just got their P plate licensing, their provisional drivers, and they five of them get in a car together, that's one of the great dangers in travel. And then, five, and then five of them go to the conference for three or four days where they stay up till four o'clock every morning 
because they don't want to go. And then they all jump yes. in the car to come home on the final day and have yes. a three-hour trip home at night or yes. something. That it's is, a disaster waiting to happen. That is happen. a disaster waiting to happen. So being careful that people don't stay up till four o'clock in the morning, which when they're 19 or 20 years old, you can't actually tell them when to go to bed, but you need to. And making sure that the drivers are being responsible, that's, that's an obvious thing. The bigger problem, in a sense, is cultic behaviour. Because of our passion, our zeal to get the best out of the weekend, it's, it's not hard to fall into some practices which, frankly, are cultic, um, and they're mind-bending, they're brainwashing, and we must work overtime to avoid them, I think, if we're responsible for running a camp. It's the flip side of having time and space out of your normal routines. It's the enormous value of conferencing is that you get out of your normal bubble, you get out of your normal routine, you have time to stop and to think and to process. But those very things mean there's also opportunity to manipulate people and absolutely and to create an environment outside their normal environment where you can falsely or illegitimately influence them. Yes, yes. Here's a list of things I've, I've worked on over the years to make sure that we never do these things because this is exactly what the cults do do. It's, it's a kind of I studied the cults, saw what they did, and always make sure I do the reverse. That is, disturbing people's sleeping patterns, don't giving them the right amount of time for sleep is one of them. Reducing the food, making sure that people are fed properly, whereas the cults will say, oh, let's have a day of fasting or two days of fasting. Well, that changes people's body chemistry and their capacity for their minds to think clearly, etc. Changing the clocks. Oh, we're on camp time. Camp time is different to other time, which again controls people's ways of love bombing you know, where you actually pour enormous affection into people. I'm not talking sexual affection. I'm just talking, you know, positive affirmation for everything they do and the whole practice of overemphasizing how wonderful they are and not speaking the truth to them, really, cutting them off for any external influences. So uh, we're on camp, so put your phone away, put away any Wi-Fi connections that you have, don't get the newspapers, don't listen to the radio, don't watch television. You know, you've isolated them from the world. You can understand these are good things. I mean, I've been to camps where teenagers, you know, their phones are taken from them. Let's just have a week where we don't constantly scroll our phones. And it's really That's good for them. That's positive in one it's sense. It's very right. positive for them. That's right. But when you don't allow people to have any phone calls with people outside, with family, with you really are creating a problem. Another big one, no free time. Every minute of every day is taken up with another activity and another conversation. You've got to allow people time to sit and think and do nothing. Especially introverted people need time away from people just to kind of reflect. And so these cult behaviours, we just got to do the reverse. I remember one camp we were in where I thought the campsite provided inadequate food for the kind of university students that I had with me. And so we paid more money to have loaves of bread freely available at every meal time and more fruit freely available at every meal time. So you had the meal, but when you finished the meal, at the end of the table, there was more bread if you wanted, there was more fruit if you wanted it, so that no one could feel like that they were you know, hungry all the time. There's other camps that I've seen. They don't mean to be cultic and wrongly guarded, but the structure of the camp is wrong. I mention them by names. You see, I think the Casillo program is very dangerous. I wouldn't be involved in that one because it's a program 
Well, it falls into the love bombing kind of problem of just being so positively affirming of people in such a strange and peculiar fashion that it really disorients people from reality. And it's very sad. And a, a Protestant version that came out some time ago called Emmaus Walk was much the same. It was an unnatural set of time, program, relationship, context. It just was manipulative in my view. And so you've got to be careful of that. But it can be even simple things. Mountaintop decisions, they used to call them. You know, you go up to the top of the mountains for camps and conferences. It's interesting how often conference centres are at the tops of mountains around about us. But you get people to make decisions at the conference when, in fact, it's maybe better to get them to understand the decision that needs to be made and get them to make it a week later when they're back at home. At the foot of the mountain. At the foot of the mountain, so to speak, yes. Because it just gives freedom for rethinking and removes the possibility of, of your emotions, of the tiredness, of the excitement to distort your thinking. I remember Helen Rosevere, an ex-missionary or lovely lady who's now in the Lord, she spoke to me, she said, whenever you have missionary appeals, you get emotional missionaries, and emotional missionaries are no use on the mission field. And there's a truth in that, that mountaintop experiences need to be carefully guarded. They need to change our minds and our hearts you know, through the word of God, yes. not through the manipulation of the emotion. And if there is that real change, then the decision that's made in the cold light of day the following week will be the right decision. It that's won't right. just be one that's driven by the intensity of, of the experience. Yes. So the campers, etc., wonderful experiences that enable you to do great things in Christian ministry and understanding. But as you were saying, Tony, the very wonderful thing that it is is also the dangerous thing that it can be. Yeah, that's really useful. Perhaps to conclude, what would be an encouraging biblical framework or biblical warrant for us to say that conferencing and camping is a great thing? Yeah. Well, we can say Jesus took the disciples away and was teaching them by himself. Up to up onto a hillside. Yes, he did that. And also up to Caesarea Philippi. And, uh, but the fact that Jesus did it is no warrant that we should. I don't think it's one of those things we need to look into the Bible to get a biblical warrant to do it. It's not that you should go to camps because the Bible tells you to go to camps. We go to camps because it's a way of doing biblical things, praying, fellowshipping, reading the Bible. But it's not itself fellowship, praying and reading the Bible. It's just getting away to give yourself more time to do it. Sorry for it being kind of just pedestrian like that, but, you know, what is is what it is. It's just... <laughs> We're not saved, we're not built up, we're not encouraged by structures, systems such as camps or conferences. It's by the word of God and prayer inside those systems that matters. And so the opportunity to do those kinds of things, to share the word of God with one another in a particular way, in a particular context and, and time, with the time to pray and think through and encourage each other with that word, challenge each other in our lives with that word, that's what's valuable about it. It's yes. a wonderful opportunity God gives us to do those things. And maybe thinking about it in those ways can also just protect us against the dangers. That's it. Well, whatever camp or conference you might be going on over the next few months, we pray that it's this kind of experience, one that really builds you up through the Word of God and prayer. And as we as we close, perhaps we should pray that that's the case and that um, not only at CMS Summer School that we're looking forward to, but at many other beach missions and other camps and conferences, God would be honoured in this way. And Two Ways Ministries runs a very important one. In the end of January, 
for people who have left school and are going on to adult life from there on in. It's called Launch because it's the launch into adult life. And get in touch with us about if you know any school leavers who would like to be away for a few days to think through what the rest of their life is going to be about. That'd be a great thing to do. We'll put all those details in the show notes about launch so that you can find it out. How about I pray to finish us off, Philip? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity you give us in so many different ways to share your word with each other and deepen our, our relationship with you and our obedience and love of you through that. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to go away and do that in different conferences and camps and weekends away um, for the blessings that they are, for the many benefits that they have. And as we undertake those, Father, especially in the next few months, we pray that we take advantage of all those opportunities and all those advantages, uh, while at the same time conducting ourselves, Father, with integrity and with love and with honesty and without manipulation or misuse of these opportunities in the different dangers that we've we've talked about. Father, we do thank you for the power of your word and that whatever the context, it changes people's hearts and lives. And we pray all this, Lord, in, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.